Thanks for listening to one of our messages at Crossroads Bible Church. We gather on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. in person and online. To find out more about our church or to connect to any of our ministries, visit our website at crossroadsbible.org. We hope you enjoy the message and pray it encourages you as you seek to follow Jesus. Hi there. Good morning. Merry Christmas. I am so delighted to get to be with you guys this morning. Uh, Here at Crossroads, we begin all of our worship services the same way. We seek to remind ourselves that we want to be contributors uh, to this conversation of faith and not critics. It's something that we really do have to remind ourselves of every week, actually. It's the air that we breathe. It's the water that we swim in. Um, If you are happen to be going to a restaurant uh, for lunch, you probably will have at least 20 choices on a menu, and that would really be a small menu, wouldn't it? We are inundated with choices all day long, figuring out, do I want it this way or do I want it this way? Do I like this or do I like this? Do I agree with this? We're just... Our culture breeds us to be a critic. But in this time and in this space, that is just, that's not our role. Um, Each week as we go through this practice of uh, thinking about being, um, not being a critic, but being a contributor, I sit right over there in my usual seat, and I often think about the Nicene Creed, which says of Jesus that he will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and of his, his kingdom will have no end. And so I sit there and I remind myself that even though that when I walk out these doors, I will probably resume the role of being a critic and deciding how I like things done. But when I do that in here, that I usurp my place, right? Like that is not who God has called me to be. So we can't actually be a critic and a worshiper at the same time. They just can't coexist. So we're going to take a moment to pray, and we're going to ask God to help us to be a worshiper this morning. Lord, thank you so much for this opportunity. Thank you for the privilege of coming together to worship you. Lord, in our hearts, we desire to worship you with all of who we are, our mind, our body, our strength, our soul. All of us wants to worship you, but we acknowledge that we actually need your help to do just that. So will you help us? If you're comfortable, I want to ask you right now that you would pray and ask God to meet you in a very special way this morning, that he would help you to be a worshiper. And if you're willing, I'd ask that you would pray for me, that God would use the preparations that I've made to help to communicate his deep love for us and his goodness towards us. Jesus, we're grateful for Emmanuel, God with us. Thank you for being with us right in this very moment. It's in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus we pray. Amen. 
So um, in this Advent season, we've been looking at really familiar Christmas carols, something that we all really know well. Um, and it's amazing how God has wired us for memory. Our, our minds can hold on to facts, but um, our soul, our body and our soul really help us to, um, to remember experiences. You know how a smell can trigger a memory? When I was a kid growing up, I spent the better part of seven-ish summers with my mother's twin sister, my Aunt Betty in Casper, Wyoming. I really loved being there. Um, I got to go to church camp. I made good friends there. It was the place that I really first connected with God, that he deeply loves me, and that I really wanted to love him. So that place holds a special place in my heart. And then uh, during, when I was home during the school year, my mother would occasionally buy the same hairspray that my Aunt Betty used. And all I had to do was to smell that hairspray, and it was like I was on the mountain all over again, like I was in that place that I loved. You know how our senses do that for us? Well, I think music is even stronger. Um, I, it really does connect us to God, and it connects us to experiences, heartfelt experiences of him. There's a song that we sing now. It brings me to tears almost immediately every time we sing it. And my original connection to that song was more than 15 years ago. It has never lost its ability to stir up emotion in me. So last Monday night, or last Monday morning rather, I flew to Nashville for a concert um, so my favorite singer-songwriter, Andrew Peterson, was doing a Christmas concert at the Ryman. If you guys have never been to Nashville and been to the Ryman, I see several of you nodding your heads, it is a must-see if you go to Nashville. It's the most famous stage of the Grand Ole Opry. It was built back in the 1880s. And uh, one of the things that I was really aware of uh, when we went Monday night was, you know, people in the 1880s, <laughs> their behinds was a little smaller <laughs> than the average American now, I think. And so when we got there and I looked at what was to be our seats and how small it was and how large the people were on either side of us, I just thought, oh, you know, I, I'm, I'm not a touchy-feely person. And so to sit down and to have to literally like be pressed all the way up against the person next to me, I was just, I was so uncomfortable and I was sitting there thinking, this is just gonna be a miserable night. This is gonna be miserable. But you know, Andrew came out on the stage and to get us like quiet and settled, you know, into our seat before the show started, he sang several Christmas carols and he started with Hark the Herald. I was so excited and uh, you know, the Ryman is just amazing, right? But the people there, they just, they were all excited to be there. And from the very first note of that song, they were belting it out. I mean, it was deafening in there. And by the time we had sang a couple of carols, you know, my heart had totally shifted. I was actually feeling like some camaraderie with these people standing next to me. And by the time we were seated and settled and waiting for the show, I was just kind of like, you know what? This, this is going to be okay. This is, this is going to be good, actually. 
Music has the ability to transform our attitudes and it has the ability to connect us to other people. It's, it's actually pretty amazing. So our hope for this Advent season, the reason we've been talking about these carols, is that we hope that God is working in you to stir up an awareness of his love, of his nearness. And that when we sing these songs next year, just like that hairspray, you're just going to be, oh, I feel all over again the love of God. So we hope that you get really connected to these songs. So recently, God has been inviting me to consider the spiritual practice of simplicity. I, I kind of have asked him if we could maybe put it off until like January. It's kind of a really busy time right now. Um, and so Mark was helping me get the Christmas stuff out of the attic. And then the next day, it was my job to then get it out of the garage and get it into the house. So to my dismay, I got the tree up and there was like literally one little ring at the very bottom one tiny little ring in the middle and then the very very tip top of the tree is the only thing that was lighting up so before i could even think about it i had my shoes on i had my keys in my hand i was halfway down the hall headed to the garage you know where i was going right where i was going to hobby lobby right i was going to go buy another tree and I kind of felt God saying, do you really need another tree? Is, does the house really need that one more tree? <laughs> and I was kind of like, oh. So I called Mark. I called up Mark and I said, Mark, most of the lights on the tree aren't working. Should I go replace? You think I should go get another tree? And y'all, my husband, he has the patience of Job. I'm not kidding. He tinkers with things. Like, he fixes, like, laptops and charging cords and hair straighteners and pool pumps and weed eaters, and you get the idea, right? So, of course, you know exactly what he told me. Don't, don't go buy another tree. I'll fix it, right? So, he gets on Google. He gets on YouTube. He watches some videos. He goes and buys this handy-dandy little tool. He is so super excited about it. He would love for you to ask him about it, actually, afterwards. <laughs> and it somehow is magic. It, it finds all the bad bulbs for you. And so a couple hours later, he's replaced, I don't know, 80 or 90 bulbs. And voila, the whole tree is lit up. And I'm like, hmm. But, you know, I bet that some of you in here, I bet you guys are maybe more like me. So uh, last month, there was this group that's uh, partners, affiliates of Citibank, and they were putting out some surveys about how wasteful we Americans are. And they said that of the people that they surveyed, 70% of them regularly throw out leftovers or expired food, suggesting that we buy more than we know we're going to be able to eat, Right? and said that 68% of us will make redundant purchases, replacing items that we already have. You know, how many of you replace a phone when the one that you have is working just fine, right? So, I mean, even just think about our construction. 
habits. Like if we were in Europe and we were to build a home, we would build it to last for centuries, right? If we buy a 100-year-old home, we intend to you know, tear it down and just use the lot. We're buying it for the lot. We're going to build a new house on it, right? Um, so let me get straight to the point here. Let me tell you why we're saying all this. Our big idea today is that God is not a replacer. He's a repairer. He's not a replacer. He's a repairer. We're going to look today at the song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, and we're going to see how God is in the, in the midst of doing a great work. He's repairing. Okay? All right, so let's begin. Let's look at the, uh, the first verse. <clears throat> it says, Hark the herald angels sing, Glory to the newborn king, Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Joyful all ye nations rise, Join the triumph of the skies, With angelic hosts proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. Hark the herald angels sing, Glory to the newborn king. So this first verse, the main center of it, the focus of it, is that we have been reconciled to God. Isn't that amazing that the angels came to the shepherds to announce that we are reconciled? You know, our relationship with God was broken by our first parents, by Adam and Eve, when they decided that they really wanted to go their own way. And they, they chose to eat from the, from the fruit of the tree that was forbidden and they decided that they wanted um, to be, you know, the authors of their own destiny. They, wanted to, they didn't really quite trust that, that God had a good plan for them. And they wanted to find out what was out there. What was he holding out? But, you know, it didn't take them any time at all to realize that that was not a good plan. And what did they do in response to that? They hid. They ran for the bushes. They found some fig leaves and somehow sewed them together and covered themselves. They didn't want God to see them anymore. But reconciliation gives us another option. It gives us the option to run to God instead of running to the bushes to hide. I get the uh, privilege of leading a Life with God group. Life with God um, is something that a lot of people here in our church have actually done. It's a Bible study. It's a three-year walk through the major storyline of the Bible. And the intent of Life with God is to help us to recognize um, in, our, in our just daily lives, in the moment-by-moment life, where is it that we are leaning in to God being present to us, asking him for help, or whether we're running for the bushes. Right? For those of you who are doing Life with God, you know exactly the words I'm talking about. It's used thousands of times, right? The words abiding and the words autonomy, right? When we want to hide from God rather than uh, running to him. So my, uh, my group, I have um, a group that I get to lead. And one of, the, one of the guys in my group told us a story and a couple of weeks ago, he had had a spat with his wife, and um, he had said some unkind things. And just in the frustration of it, he just decided, I'm just going to go run some errands, right? You, you've, you know, you've all been there, right? Uh, at the end of his errand running, he thought, 
well, I don't really want to go home now, but what else am I going to do? And he thought about what he was supposed to be doing. And he realized, oh, snap. The thing I'm supposed to be doing is my life with God homework. (laughs) I'm supposed to be in this prayer time where I'm running to God instead of running away from God, asking him to help me. So he, he decided to go home. And he went to his wife, and he named his bad behavior, and he said what things he had said that were unkind. He owned it, and he said, I'm really sorry. Will you forgive me? You know, Adam and Eve, it seems like they, they never did that. It seems like they never had the sorrow and repentance that one said to the other, hey, I really blew that. I shouldn't have done that, and that really hurt you. I'm sorry that I did that. Um, it, it's like they never, they never repented, actually. Um, in Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis talked about repentance. And he talked about it uh, in a way that it's, he said that only a really, really good person can repent. But he said, if you're, if you're really broken, like if you need to repent, you're, you're too broken to do it. This is how he said it. He said, only a bad person needs to repent. Only a good person can repent perfectly. The worse you are, the more you need it, and the less you can do it. Only the person who could do it perfectly would be a perfect person, and he wouldn't need it. So in the story of Adam and Eve, we see that sin required death, right? Repentance requires a death in us. It requires that we recognize that the way that we're going is, not, is no good. It's not right, and we need to put that to death. And we need to go another way. We need to go God's way. So, but if we're so stuck in our brokenness, how can we do it? How can we help ourselves? So Lewis went on to say, but suppose God became a man. Suppose our human nature, which can suffer and die, was algamated with God's nature in one person. Then that person could help us. He could surrender his will And suffer and die because he was a man. And he could do it perfectly because he was God. You and I can go through this process only if God does it in us. But God can only do it if he becomes a man. So now we have a choice before us. Because Jesus came... In the incarnation, because he came to be with us, to reconcile us, we now have a choice. We can run to God or we can run for the bushes. When we are tempted to blame somebody else, when we're tempted to manipulate the situation or manipulate somebody else, when we're tempted um, out of our own self-protection to hide from other people, to blame shift, we run for the bushes. When, when we are tempted to um, lust after somebody, when we are you know, tempted to comfort ourselves in a bowl of ice cream, we run for the bushes. But we don't have to. We have another way. God has reconciled us. 2 Corinthians 5.19 tells us that he reconciled the world to himself not counting our sin against us. You know what that means? (laughs) It means that he's not angry with us. 
He's not disappointed in us. He's not frustrated with us. He wants us to run to him. He wants to help us. He wants to cover us over, to cover over our nakedness, to to clothe us. He wants us to run to him. So that brings us to the second verse. Um, The first verse was about the fact that we are reconciled. The second verse tells us how God did it, how he reconciled us. Verse 2 says, Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord, late in time behold him come, offspring of a virgin's womb. This is the part we want to pay attention to. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with man to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. You know, it was when I was preparing the sermon that I really realized that somewhere lurking in the back of my mind and in my heart, I really thought that God was a replacer. You know, I I just somehow I thought if God is an infinite God, he can do anything he wants to do. It's not like he maybe broke a sweat or something in creating the world. All he had to do was like speak, right? It just somewhere in, inside of me said something that, you know, maybe, maybe he looks at all this brokenness and says, done, I'm done with this. Let's just wipe this one out and start again, Earth 2.0, right? But you know what really, really settles the question about the goodness of God and his good intention for us? It's the incarnation. He chose to become one of us to live with with us, and he took on this human flesh for all eternity. Athanasius is this really old dead guy. Um, He was was, uh, very important uh, in helping us with uh, our thoughts and understanding about the Holy Trinity. He was one of the writers of the Nicene Creed uh, back in the um, early 300s. And in his book called On the Incarnation, Uh, He talked about uh, a masterpiece painting. Like this artist has painted this beautiful masterpiece painting. And somehow it's gotten stained. Like wine has been spilled on it or something and the painting is ruined. Right? So we ask, what does the artist do in this situation? Does, Does he just throw the painting away? He says, no, of course not. An artist wouldn't throw a canvas away. He would just get the paint out and paint right over it. My good friend Sharon taught me that. Like, I was always ready to just throw something away. And she was like, no, we'll use it again next year when we're doing something new. We'll just paint right over it again. Uh, he gave us this illustration to talk about how God wouldn't discard us. But he is the master craftsman. And he will just paint a beautiful picture right over it. Maybe you have never painted this great masterpiece or anything, but um, I bet you have created something that you're proud of, right? Some of you may have seen this um, <laughs> gingerbread house that's been out in the foyer on the brunch display table for the last couple of months. Um, that gingerbread house took me four days to make by the time you know, I made the dough and rolled it out and 
had to redo it and redo it a couple of times over. And uh, at, the, at the end of the four days, when it was time to actually bring it up here to the church, Mark said, I'm not carrying it. I'll drive, but I'm not carrying that. And so it was an ordeal to actually, you know, get it out of the house and figure out how to get it, get in the car with it, you know. And then we live out in Argyle, so we live about 20 minutes away. And uh, I had to, I had to hold it out in front of me while we were driving. And by the time we got here, my arms were burning, right? Because I couldn't sit it down in my lap because then it just caught all the jolts of the bumps, right? I had to hold it out in front of me. And my arms were sore for a couple of days. If I cared that much about a gingerbread house, how much more does an infinite God love this creation? He loves it. Athanasius um, went on to say in his book, Surely it would have been better to have never been created at all, having been created to neglect and perish. Besides that, such indifference to the ruin of his own work before his very eyes would argue not goodness in God, but limitation. He's saying, God, like, if he's just going to let us go to waste, like, it would have been better if he'd have never created us. It was impossible, therefore, that God should leave man to be carried off by corruption because it would be unfitting and unworthy of himself. God loves what he made. He loves it deeply. John 3, 16, Jesus says it very plainly, that God loved the world so much that he gave his only son. He came here to live with us, to become one of us, not to toss us away. In John 1, 14, it tells us that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, that we have seen his, his glory the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So God had a choice. He had a choice to leave us to our own ruin and demise, or he could come. He made his choice. He chose to become one of us. Let's take a look at the third verse. The first verse told us about this, this reconciliation that God has given us. The second verse told us how he accomplished the reconciliation. And the third tells us the future of our reconciliation. Let's read it. Hail the heaven-born prince of peace. Hail the son of righteousness. Light and life to all he brings. Risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by. This is the part we want to pay attention to. Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. While we're celebrating this Advent season, we got to remember something. We're living in the in-between. We're in between two Advents. Jesus came once, but Jesus is coming again. And these two comings of Jesus are like two sides of the same coin. They're like two parts of the same story of redemption. Back in the day, um, my first husband 
uh, died of cancer when our daughter was four years old. And a very wise counselor told us way back then that Tatum would have to grieve the loss of her dad over and over again in her life because at four years of age, she couldn't take it in and she couldn't understand it, right? Um, and that was very good, helpful advice because we did indeed see that. Every few years, um, it, would, it would crop up all over again. When she was, you know, a little bitty kid, <laughs> it would come out in the weirdest places. <laughs> we would be checking out at Lowe's and she would say to the cashier, my daddy died. And the cashier, having no idea what to do, would just look at me like, uh, you know, when we got to, to later elementary and middle school, oh, y'all, it was so dramatic. It was lots of super, super drama crying. <laughs> when she got to high school, it became a little more thoughtful. It, it turned into poetry, you know, and a lot of times, and she would, she would write about it. You know, the thing about significant losses is that they never leave us. They're always with us, and they're always right beneath the surface. The thing that I used to always tell her during those times is that we are awaiting a glorious day. That the very first day that she gets to see her dad, she'll never, ever, never be without him. She'll never be without him again. If you think about it, like, if, it's hard for us to imagine eternity. But if you try to imagine 100 million years from now, what will 60 or 70 years without him be? It'll be like she was never without him. It'll be like a drop in the bucket. Revelation um, 21 tells us this. See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his peoples, and he himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more, for the first things have passed away. And the one who is seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. If you skip ahead to chapter 22, it says, And there will be no more night. They need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Dietrich Bonhoeffer preached to a German-speaking church in Havana, uh, Cuba, back in December of 1930. And uh, in that sermon, he said to them, um, out of the waiting, hoping, longing world, a world will come in which the promise is given. All crying will be stilled. No tears shall flow. No lonely sorrow shall afflict us anymore or threaten. Can you even imagine living without sorrow? But, you know, in that quote, it's really the last two words that are so striking or threaten. Can you imagine to live without any sense of fear, without any fear at all of loss or pain or sorrow? There is no worry in, in, in you. Can you imagine what that would be like? So the thing that we have to remember today is we're not here 
to celebrate only that something wonderful happened 2,000 years ago. We're here to celebrate that we are awaiting something very, very wonderful, the hope of the resurrection. So we have a choice. Once again, we have a choice. We can choose to wallow in despair in the pain of suffering, or we can hope in the resurrection. So when we were just reading that Revelation 21, did you notice that he said he's making all things new? He didn't say he was making all new things. Our God is not a replacer. He's a repairer. So how then should we respond to all of this? How should we respond to this God? Well, I think we should join him in his work in, repla- in, in repairing this world, right? We should be peacemakers. We should be reconcilers. We should be repenters. We should be the first to make amends and say how we have contributed to the brokenness. We should grow in our awareness that makes, of what it is that makes us run to the bushes instead of run to him. We should care about this world. God cares about it. We should care about the people of this world. We should be menders of the brokenhearted. So maybe there's someone this Christmas season, maybe there's someone that you need to make amends with, you need to be reconciled with. I would encourage you to do that. I would ask, though, that you please note that I didn't say you should go to someone and tell them that they need to make amends, right? (laughs) There is a very big difference there. Repentance is owning your part, not telling them what was their part. That's not helpful in any way. We want to be honest people who are full of grace and truth, and we want to run to name the things that we're responsible for. So I don't know if you've noticed, but we are end all of our services here at Crossroads the same way. We always end with the idea of what, is, what would it be like if we all believed this, if together, not just individually, but collectively, if all of us together, if we all believed this, what if we all woke up tomorrow morning and we believed that Jesus was offering us a different way, a way in which we fully live into the reconciliation that he's provided for us, that we stop running to the bushes, right? That the incarnation changed everything, that God made his choice. He chose to love us. And that we have an unimaginable, glorious future awaiting us. What would it look like if we believed that? If we did, there'd be peace. Back to verse 1 in the song. There'd be peace on the earth. We'd be reconciled. It would look like the fullness of God's rule and reign coming right here, right now. That's what it would look like. God is making all things new. He's a, he's a repairer. He's not a re- replacer. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that in your unbelievable love for us, you came for us and you didn't abandon us. You didn't say, oh, let's just scrap this whole thing. 
that you cared for us and the work that you've done is still in progress. We have a glorious future awaiting us. Jesus, help us to live into that today. Amen.